Good morning. Happy 4th, everyone. We have a good weekend and day off <clears throat> tomorrow. For those of you that, unlike me, that are still working, uh, I have several announcements uh, to make before we get started. Um, I wanted to remind you, Wednesday night Bible study, uh, the book by Paul Miller and Rick Haggard's leading the study at uh, 6.30 on Wednesday. And it's been very good so far. And uh, feel free to, to come by and jump in. And uh, we have some spirited discussion, some good discussion. And uh, we've enjoyed it. It's been really good so far. And I've learned some, some really new things about <clears throat> how God sees us. He sees us personally. And he looks at a crowd, but he can see us personally, and he, we see how Jesus did that in the scripture. Um, we also, uh, I want to, to um, remind you, as part of the senior ministry, and this is not restricted just to seniors, but we walk on Friday mornings, weather permitting, at 9. We meet here in the parking lot, and uh, about a half an hour walk, nothing strenuous, and we don't set too fast to pace, some faster than others, but you walk at your own pace, and I'm usually near the back of the group, so that's okay. But uh, feel free, welcome to join us uh, on Friday mornings if you can, if you can get away. Uh, got another announcement, notice for an announcement, and this is regarding the shoebox ministry, and uh, there's a special uh, they're looking for donations, but there's a special that the shoebox ministry can purchase soccer balls, pumps, two needles, and a toothbrush as a package for $5. So any of you are interested, this special ends in two weeks. So if any of you are interested in that, uh, see Deanna Billers, and she can help to take advantage of this special and for soccer ball and all those things, that's, that's a really good deal. And I know this uh, uh, great Samaritan's Purse ministry and uh, that we really support. So if you're able to uh, see Deanna and uh, join in on that, um, on that mission. Um, before we go into uh, to the message, uh, the passage of scripture that we're going to use. Uh, I got a prayer request earlier from the first service for Missy's son, Clint, and he's had some troubles uh, with seems to be low blood pressure, and she's asked if we would pray for him, and uh, I think he's had a, a couple of uh, spells issues with that, and uh, as we are all overly concerned when it's their children or grandchildren, uh, we just ask that you, they'd be able to diagnose it or God would touch him and, and restore his health. And so just remember him when you pray. His name's Clint. And uh, so uh, before we go, uh, well, we'll go ahead and go into prayer and then I'll, I'll go over some of the scripture text that we're going to look at today. So let's go ahead and let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we're thankful for this time. We can share together fellowship and to come before you and to look at your word, and, uh, the truth that your word, of your word. And I just pray you would open our hearts to hear what you would say to us this morning. And 
Lord, the, the cares of the world, the distractions, the things that go on around us. I pray we would uh, be able to set those aside and focus on what you would have to say to us, Lord. And as difficult as I know that is sometimes to, to set aside the busyness of this world, uh, I just pray you would help us to do it this morning. And uh, lift up Missy's son, Clint, to you again, Father, and I, I just pray for his health, you would restore him. You would give Missy peace and uh, wisdom as she counsels him. And I just pray for his health care and for your touch upon him. And you would restore his health to him. Lord, I just pray for the, the message now, the uh, scripture that we're going to look at. And I just pray uh, that you would put me aside and, and place your word to the forefront, Lord. And uh, that you would use me, Lord, in any way that you see fit. and I just uh, pray you would uh, use it, Lord, today to speak to someone's heart. And uh, just pray you bless us. Thank you for all you do amongst our congregation and uh, the way you bless us, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for that. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I, what I want to speak to you about this morning, I'm going to be reading just a moment from uh, the book of Mark, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 20. And uh, some of you will recognize that as the parable of the sower and the seeds. And uh, more, more uh, accurately, it would be described as the parable of the seeds and the soils. And uh, it is described both ways. It's called both ways, the, uh, the seed and the soil and the sower. And uh, we will look at that in a little, little in depth and look at that, what God means by that. Um, there are parallel passages if you want to study, if you do study in your free time, that's the same passage is also in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8. So if you want to, uh, to study those on your own. Before we go in and we'll, we'll look at the parable and see what Jesus had to say about the, this and uh, we'll go into further description. But if you would stand with me in honor of God's word and we'll read Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 through 20. And he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves and so endure for only a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. God bless the hearing of his word. Please be seated. So reading this, this parable, and recently I developed somewhat of a fascination of pass, uh, parables and why Jesus used parables in teaching of his word. What was the purpose for him doing that? And uh, during my research for the message, I found out that one-third of Jesus' teaching was in the form of parables. I thought that was interesting. I would never have guessed that. There are more parables in Luke than the other Gospels. But one thing about this, and it's in a personal note, that was uh, I was drawn to this particular parable. Some of you know that I retired from the University of Virginia back in February, and I'd always look forward to having more time to spend in the yard and gardening, and not so much gardening, but planting and uh, and seeding and seeing things grow. And I've never been successful in my life at growing anything. I, I can kill most, most anything except for weeds. But uh, I've learned some things through that process of working in the yard. And I've learned some things through this parable that have taught me about growing and what makes growing and seed and uh, what makes it successful. Uh, but as I was working in the yard, I was sowing seed, and uh, this parable began to, to echo over and over in my mind. I would repeat it to myself while I was out in the yard. I was raking, and uh, I didn't really comprehend what, what Jesus was trying to say through this parable. And as I did research on it, uh, I began to learn why Jesus used this particular parable with the group of people that he was talking to. But, you know, it's not so much um, the growing and uh, so much as this was an agricultural society. 
And so Jesus was putting this in an agricultural term, something that, that folks could understand that would make sense to them, the seeding and, and cultivating in the soil. But what he's really getting down to, the bottom line is, is uh, and what I found myself, if you want something to grow when you're planting and seeding, you want something to grow and be successful, it's a matter of the soil. If you have good soil, if you have good fertile soil, you can do, you know, you could not do as great a job with the other things, but it will still produce fruit, some fruit, some more than others. But what I want to talk about is this, the soil, and how does he compare that to us? How does that, how does that relate to us? The word parable itself and it's used, it means to cast alongside of. So you take a scriptural story, you take a, a verse from the, from the scriptures, and then you take a parable, and a parable is cast alongside of the original story. It's also used to mean it's a comparison or it's an illustration or a word picture. Now, we're, I prefer the term word picture. That makes more sense to me when you take... take uh, words and and relay it and make a picture out of it is something I can understand a picture they say a picture says a thousand words but I remembered uh, when thinking about this when I was a young man in high school growing up and starting to work that there would always be someone that would uh, when you didn't understand something and they would say do I need to draw you a picture and they would say it smartly sarcastically and I would say, yeah, I guess you do, because I'm not understanding what it is you're trying to get across. And so obviously in Jesus' day, there were a lot of folks that needed a picture drawn as well. So what he would do, he would draw a word picture for them to help them to understand a spiritual truth. So he took physical things and he put them into a spiritual truth to help them to understand that spiritual truth by something they could relate to. But sometimes teaching itself just is, is more understandable in the form of a story. So to put this parable in proper context, I need to jump back into uh, Matthew chapter 3 and go over something real quickly if you want to follow with me since you're already there. I won't read the whole, the whole passage, but someone asked Jesus, uh, said, your, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus said, uh, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around at the circle of those that sat around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. And so it was no, no disrespect to his mother or brother and sister, Intended, but he was trying to get a message across to this multitude that had gathered. And in verse 1, it said that so great a multitude had gathered around them, and they gathered around for different reasons, but they, they gathered around him by the Sea of Galilee. Um, they gathered around as he spoke, and they said there was so great a multitude gathered around them that he got into a boat and set out on the sea, and he spoke to the crowd on the shore. Now, 
in, in Jewish tradition, a rabbi would normally, when a rabbi would normally teach, the rabbi would sit down and those that were listening would stand. And that was just a tradition, and as we did when I read the scripture reference earlier, we stood up in honor of and respect for God's word. This is what they did for the teaching of the rabbi. They would stand and listen to the teaching. So Jesus sat down in the boat in, in that rabbinical tradition, and out of respect, the listeners would stand. And Jesus knew the crowd. He looked out about the crowd, but he knew there were all different types of hearts, the hearts of those that were listening. And we know when we come into a church service sometimes, and I try to pray that when I come into a church service, that my heart will be focused on what's going on in the worship service. And sometimes you're thinking, I, I have to do this this afternoon. I have to go there. I have to go to Walmart. You can never cross that off the list. <laughs> and Sam's Club, but Lincoln's not here now. But anyway, I have to go those two at least. And then there are all the other errands that come with uh, the busyness of the day. And so, you know, Jesus knew that there were those that were there and some were listening in different ways. And some were distracted, some were thinking about their day, others were doubting, uh, some were open-minded, some closed-minded, some were looking for miracles, uh, bread, food, healings, you know, as long as that's going on, I'm, I'm hanging around. But uh, Jesus is speaking to the hearts of the crowd, and, and I'll, we'll try to focus on that a little bit more, what he means. But he's, uh, he's reminding us, and, and he's done, as we read through the scriptures, some will hear and not perceive, some will hear and not understand, some will see it and not understand. And he knows that, but he speaks to the crowd. Now, former church that... Uh, we went to previously. We would come into a worship service, and I've always remembered this for some reason, but the pastor used to tell us, when you come into a worship service, he said, come with your cup upright, willing to hear, not distracted, but coming to hear from God. <clears throat> and sometimes, uh, you know, you'll go... Uh, to, a, to a, a church service, a worship service, you know, listen to the preacher and you'll leave and get in the car and say, man, he, uh, he didn't, didn't really keep my attention very well today and, you know, he could have done a lot better, I think. But, you know, sometimes we show up and we don't have our cup upright willing to hear. And so I'm not saying that so you'll listen to me especially. I'm just speaking to myself as well. But he used to remind us of a hymn it was uh, written by Jesse Dixon. It was called Fill My Cup, Lord. And uh, for your benefit, I won't sing it, but I will read some of the words because I want you to stay around for the rest of the service. But it would say, Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. And when you come into a worship service and your cup is upright, you hold your cup upright, you're ready and willing to hear what God has to say to you. Fill my cup, Lord. And Jesus was speaking to those in the crowd 
that came seeking with an upright cup, with their holding their cup upright to fill it up, Lord. But verse 2, it says he was teaching many things in parables. In verse 3, he goes on, and a special emphasis here, when you, see in, when you read verse 3, the first word jumped out at me when I read it. He puts emphasis on the word listen. And I uh, <clears throat> searched through the scriptures, and it's very rare that Jesus made any kind of statement. Anytime he spoke, he didn't emphasize that. He didn't ask you specifically you know, to listen like there's a, there's a special importance to what I'm about to say. Now listen. And he said, listen. The term listen means to comprehend or listen attentively. And it stands out that Jesus mentioned that specifically. And he said, behold, the sower went out to sow. And it's explained in verse 14. You notice in the first 10 verses, he explains the parables of the seed and the soil. And then the, the 10 through 20, he explains what each of the soils mean. He ex explained that. But in verse 14, he tells us that the seed is the word of God. In verse 4, he says, Some seed fell along the road because there was no depth of soil. Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown. And we've all, any of us that have planted seed, and we've come back out the next morning, and we see birds in their yard or wherever, and they're eating up the seed that we've planted. And that's what he's referring to. And here in the Jewish tradition, uh, the sower casts the seed to those, even those that, that didn't have an open heart, but the, the seed was cast on every type of soil. It wasn't necessarily tilled, uh, but the sower cast the seed. And that's what we see here, that Satan comes and snatches the word out, but it's also snatched out because of the hardness of the people's heart. They didn't come to hear. They came to listen, but they didn't come to hear the word. And I've, hear, I've heard many times, and I've seen it actually, in, actually happen, but when you hear the Word of God and you hear it repeatedly over and over, it can cause your heart, if you don't act upon it, if you're not obedient to it, it can cause your heart to become hardened and calloused toward the Word of God. And I've heard preachers say they've had people that sat in their congregation for years and they would go to visit them on their deathbed and they would go over the gospel message, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they would go over it for one last time and they would get no reaction whatsoever. They had become callous. They had heard it over and over and their heart had become callous. They had heard the word of God repeatedly and, and it meant nothing to them anymore. Their heart had become hard. It was on stony ground. It was on a hard road. And also the opposite. People that were never in church and they were on their deathbed and you come to them with God's word and they are open. Their heart was open. They're looking for hope. They understand there's hope where I had no hope before. And they accept it gladly. Verse 5 at 6, it says, Other seed fell among rocky ground, and immediately it sprang up and was scorched, because it had no root, no depth of soil. 
verse 16 and 17 tells us that those are the ones that received the word immediately, but when affliction or persecution came, they immediately fell away. And this, this makes me think about there's so many trends and fads. You see so many things on TV that this latest product is the answer to all your problems. It's the answer to all your questions and take away all your problems. If you send us 1995 and people will take right up with that. I'll take that supplement. I'll take that class. I'll listen to that tape. But they find out there's no depth of soil there. They easily fall away. And it's not the answer to all the problems. There's no depth of soil because it's not God's word. It's not eternal truth. Verse 7 said, Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up around it and choked it out, but it yielded no crop. It says, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches... And thorns, to me, are, are an, a great comparison to the cares of the world. So when you have the desire for riches, and you, you live for riches and possessions, it's like getting among the thorns. The thorns grab hold of you, and you try to get out, and you can't get out because you've become a slave to those desires for the riches and possessions that you've gotten into, and you've gotten into yourself into such a, a, a position that you're enslaved to the income that you need to keep those possessions that you can't get out, and the thorns hold you, and they grab you and don't let you get away. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot walking with God is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for depression and discontentment. And Matthew uh, 6.24 tells us that no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and wealth. Mammon is used in some of the scripture translations but wealth possessions are included it all falls into that Colossians 3 chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 2 tells us to set our mind on things above not on things of the earth and so living with one foot in the world your mind's not on things above you want if you want to please the world and please those that make you popular it's not going to be pleasing to God because you're not living with your mind set on things above. But here's the good part. We get to verse 8 and 9. Other seeds fell among good soil and produced fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. These are the ones that were told in verse 20, hear God's word and accept it. Through the first soils and the rocky paths, there's a lot of doubt, a lot of indifference. But here are the people that know, I don't have all the answers. I hear God's word. I accept it as truth. 
And these are the ones that have soil that's fertile. It's open to God's word, and they understand that it's true. Another interesting thing in how we can know the condition of our heart, another interesting thing, there are three instances here. In verse 3, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus tells us to listen. In verse 9 and verse 23, he emphasizes those that have ears to listen. And we all have ears, so obviously... He wasn't talking to everybody because everybody wasn't listening. But to those that have ears, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. And that's what I think he's he's trying to describe, that you have to have the fertile soil. Not only was... um, parables, we're familiar with them in the New Testament, but they're also used frequently in the Old Testament. And I'm going to go back to one. I'm going to give you a little information up front, but I'm going to go to parable in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'll give you some information to kind of build the story up. But we're all familiar with King David and King David's troubles throughout the scripture and uh, many things that went on in King David's life. But we know the example where King David had taken his neighbor's wife Bathsheba and her husband Uriah was away at war and David had taken uh, Uriah's wife and she had become pregnant. And so David had called her home, called Uriah home from the war to come home and sleep with his wife to cover up his affair with Bathsheba. And I have great respect because Uriah was a man of character Was he came home from the war. And he said, David encouraged him, you know, go enjoy the comfort of your home, stay with your wife. And he went that night and he slept on the front stoop of the house. He wouldn't go into the house to his wife because he had so much character He knew his men that were in battle were at war, and he was home. He had been brought home there, and he he wouldn't allow himself to go in and spend time with his wife while his men and his brothers were at war. And so David, at this point, and he sees the character of Uriah, he takes Uriah and sends him back to the front lines of the battle, and he's killed in battle. And so David doesn't fall under conviction. He doesn't see the error of his sin, not at this time. And that's where we come to the, sec- to the 2 Samuel 12 passage. And I want to see what happens because God used the prophet Nathan to speak to David through a parable. And that's what I want us to see. So if you'll follow with me in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1 through 7. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, 
except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And David was so angry when he heard the story. He was just overcome with anger. He said that man should restore four times what he's taken. He should be put to death. And Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, David, you are the man. And God used that parable to convict him of his sin and brought him to repentance. He used a word picture to convict him and allow him to see his sin when he wouldn't see it any other way. But the scripture tells us also in Samuel that in spite of David's sin, David was a man after God's own heart. So why do, it makes you wonder, why does a man of such great sin that someone would do these type of things? But he was a man after God's own heart. He had fertile soil when God spoke to him and brought conviction on him. He responded to God. It wasn't because of his goodness, but it was because of the fertile soil of the man. One way you can tell the condition of your soil is your attitude towards sin. Some people will ask, you hear people ask, you know, I I don't really, I can't, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian. Uh, You know, I'm not sure if I'm saved and I really struggle with that. One, One thing you can look at, is there a battle between the flesh and the spirit? Paul talks about that throughout Romans. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between the natural man and the spiritual man. If that's going on in your life, it's a struggle, but I think it's a good sign. Satan would have no reason to continue that battle if he owned you already, if he had you in his possession. So there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Or if you're able to continue in sin without any sense of conviction, that's a reason for concern. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. And I'll be honest with you, I'll be perfectly honest, the times that I see God work in my heart in the, in the greatest way, or even the most minor way, is when I'm honest with him about my sin. When I call out to God from a place in my heart that I don't like to go to, that's when I see the blessing of God. That's when I see God work the most. And it's uncomfortable. I won't kid you. 
I don't want to expose these things. But God, in, in Psalm 44, 11, it tells us that God knows the secrets of our heart. We're not exposing something that he's not aware of. But it's difficult to confess it. And that's, that's the definition of confession, is agreement with God. What he says is sin is sin. And when we agree with it, then that gives us a, a sense of freedom. Some of the believers that I've known throughout my Christian walk and that God has used the most effectively and I've prayed with them, talked with them, but they had a brutally honest relationship before God. They held nothing back. They held nothing from God. In their prayer life, they brought out every, every detail of what their struggles were. And it took me a while to get a hold of that. But God knows our heart. And he wants to allow us to plant the seed of his truth in it. And agree with him that his word is true. I can tell you years ago in, the, in our years here in, in this congregation that we've been in this church. One of the most blessed and powerful services I've ever set in in this congregation. Was one Sunday. It's a, there was a member here who is now attending a church somewhere else. And uh, uh, he actually was uh, instrumental in starting a church somewhere else. But he stood up on the stage and his wife was sitting down in the front row. And in tears, he apologized to his wife for some things that he had said to her during that week. And it really spoke to me that his standing before God was more important than what any man sitting in, in the congregation thought how wimpy he may be. But it was more important for him to be in right standing before God than what anybody in the congregation or anyone else thought of him. Or how he would be, be perceived. But you know, sometimes with fertile soil, when God brings our heart to a, a fertile place, it causes us to be vulnerable. We sometimes need to ask forgiveness for things that we may not receive forgiveness. They may not accept it, but we need to ask it. They may not offer it in return, but we need to ask that. And we see that recently in a study in the book of Luke. We saw Jesus do that with Judas. Before he was betrayed, before Judas betrayed Jesus, he washed his feet and he fed him. He set at a meal. And he was at a place of honor. But Jesus showed his love for him. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, uh, verse through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I'm asking you, I'm, uh, in closing, <clears throat> to look at your heart and see where your treasure is.
sometimes it can be pride. Sometimes mine is pride for certain. I struggle with that. And it causes you not to be forthcoming, not to be honest before God. But in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I've prayed this prayer for myself. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in 1 Samuel, in their search for a king, the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet at the time, he said, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what I'm trying to get across in just a basic, simple message as I normally do and am. You know, God is concerned about, about the heart of the man. God's concerned about how fertile the soil is when he plants the seed of his word in your heart. How fertile is that soil? Do you respond to it? Uh, Does it bear fruit? When there's conviction in your heart, does that fertile soil, does it ask for forgiveness? Does it make things right? You know, there's a reason... In God's word, it says when you bring your offering and you have ought against your brother, take your offering and make things right with your brother and bring your offering back. When we have communion every month, so examine yourselves before you take the bread and the cup. Examine yourselves. Make sure your heart is right before God. And so that's <clears throat> the basis of what I want to get across to you. It's a simple thing. But there's so many distractions. There's so many pursuit of of riches, the deceitfulness of riches, the rocky soil. There's so many things that get in our way and get in our path. But uh, don't let them stand in your way. Be honest before God. Allow your soil to be fertile. Some of us will bear 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Don't be bothered by that. Bear fruit in the way that God calls you and and the gifts that he gives you, whether it's 30-fold or 100. And uh, God's word says to use the gifts that you're given and the grace that he gives you. Don't compare them to anyone else. Don't don't look at at yourself as as being uh, second-rate before God. You're the same standing before God if you open the door to the church or you stand up here and speak. God sees you as being obedient, and that's fertile soil. You're trusting him and being obedient to it. So just in closing, let me, let me pray for you all and pray for myself, and thank you for listening, your attentiveness, and let's pray together now. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I... Just pray for the hearts of your people here and as we go forth and 
I uh, just pray you would use your word in our hearts. We would hide it in our hearts, Lord, that we may not sin against you. Our hearts would be open and our soil fertile to hear from you and to respond to your word. We just thank you for your love for us. Father, we uh, thank you that you're, you're a personal God, that you know us, you look at a crowd, but you see us. And I thank you for that, Lord, that, uh, that you meant enough. Uh, we meant enough to you for you to send your son, and we thank you for that love. Uh, bless us now, Lord. I just pray, uh, just use your word that you've, uh, you've provided us. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.